just like you do. Welcome to Lawyers Are Assholes. I'm your host, Brett Adams, a lawyer, I should say a recovering lawyer, who found a platform to address a broken legal system. This is where we call out incompetent and unscrupulous lawyers, prosecutors, and judges. Anyone that touches the legal system, we're coming after you if you're an asshole. So today's guest is is Brad Koffel. Um, Brad is a lawyer that I have known for many years uh, in this jurisdiction in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, there's not enough superlatives. I, I mean, he has all of the uh, the accolades, the super lawyer, the preeminent rating, uh, top defense lawyers uh, everywhere, best lawyers uh, in America since 2008, and uh, generally just a good all-around guy. I mean, when you talk about preeminent defense lawyers, his name comes to mind, Sam Shemansky, Steve Palmer, you're in a serious bind. Uh, these are the guys that you go to, and I'm honored to have Brad here today because we're going to talk about this grand jury uh, process and how unfair this is to the system, and and you're going to hear it from a real lawyer that, that deals with this every day. But first, we're going to go to the asshole of the week. Now, those of the you that uh, those listeners that heard uh, me talk about the William Husel case, and by way of review, uh, William Husel was the physician acquitted, uh, should have never been charged, but acquitted in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, and then we also talked about uh, a nurse in Tennessee, a 38-year-old nurse with an exemplary record that uh, mistakenly uh, grabbed the wrong medication to put in an IV. Uh, and tragically led to the death of a 75-year-old woman. Now, this doesn't happen in America, but in Nashville, Tennessee, these prosecutors, which I'm going to identify and explain, usually you, you get the honor of the asshole week one time, but, but this one is such a special uh, case because I identified in my previous podcast uh, a guy named uh, Chadwick Jackson. The guy, well, the guy actually has three names, but anybody with three names I've always been suspect about. But... But anyway, I put the focus on him. I'd used the F word for the first time in my podcast, but doing some more research and, and actually having media after that uh, podcast reach out to me, I really dived into this thing. And what I discovered, because uh, this Chadwick Jackson, who identified as uh, a fucking asshole uh, previously, uh, he was only one of, of two trial lawyers involved in that. But the the real asshole, as it turned out, was the prosecuting attorney that was a politician that didn't try the case, but he's actually the district attorney, and his name is is Glenn Funk. So uh, then there were two other career prosecutors. Uh, I reviewed their resumes, uh, a Debbie uh, uh, Housel and a Brittany Flott. Uh, so these, these three people tried this case, which is uh, has completely uh, just taken the medical profession just blown away everybody because we have really for the first time ever a nurse that made a negligent, a tragic mistake uh, charged criminally uh, and charged with, with homicide and it just unheard of. So I found, I found these folks and I, uh, I wrote this email I want to share with you and I said, uh, let me, for, this is to uh, the prosecuting attorney and the three other attorneys, including this uh, Chadwick W. Jackson. And I said, let me first apologize for only referring to Mr. Jackson as an asshole in my national podcast, as he seemed to be the press liaison for this pathetic prosecution and was listed in, in most of the publications I researched. 
in my next edition, what I'm talking about right now, making sure to address the rest of you. Shame on you for so negatively impacting the medical profession. I'll continue to criticize all of you publicly as every other person or organization in the country have criticized you. But as prosecutors, in parentheses, those lawyers that can never get a real job, you might not intellectually understand the effect you have caused to medical providers that now have to worry about some moron going after them for a medical mistake. What you did was a legal tragedy, and I will continue to use my national platform to lambast you. Of course, one of you may possess the courage to be a guest to explain yourself on my podcast. Now, I haven't heard from anybody, but I'm going to harp at these people. I I just, uh, and it's not not me that is enraged. I mean, it's any lawyer worth worth their salt. And uh, I have a I have a really good buddy, attorney buddy of mine, whose wife is getting licensed as a nurse, just graduated, scared to death. I mean, scared to death. I mean, I, I mean, think about the effect that this has on practicing. I mean, nurses, you go into the profession of nursing to really help people. I mean, these these people are far more valuable than than lawyers. And yet you have these assholes, these really these assholes, uh, Chadwick Jackson, um, Brittany Fiat, Debbie House, and, and the real fucking asshole, uh, Glenn Funk, who allowed this prosecution to proceed. So those are the assholes of the week. So welcome, welcome, Brad Koffel. I really appreciate you coming on today and finding the time. I gave up a little bit intro, but I've got you here live and wanted to um, tell people about how, how I know you. I mean, I've known you for a long time, at you especially as the lawyer for the stars here in Columbus, Ohio, and we've had some mutual clients. And um, you've always, uh, and I've, I've told everybody this, when you talk about the top flight criminal defense lawyers, your name's at the top there with, with Shemansky and Steve Palmer and, and, and just total respect. And, and I did a podcast earlier talking about the toughest job in, in all the legal profession is, is doing criminal defense work with the state, all of the resources and assets. And, and then guys like you that go out here and single-handedly do it on your, on your own. And, and in all seriousness, I've really admired what you've done and you've had some great, great success doing it. And I'm happy to have you here to talk about the grand juries, but I want to tell the listeners why I reached out to you because of of this uh, Deshaun Watson uh, case where um, I railed on the prosecutor that they subpoenaed 10 of the 22 uh, victims in that case and only called one um, as a witness. And to me, that shows they didn't have a real intent to indict him. And again, I'm not judging the guy. I mean, you know, I don't, I just, I don't know how 22 women come up with the same identical stories, but I'm not judging him in particular, but I wanted a guy in here that, that lives this every day. So I'm wondering, Brad, if you could, if we could start by telling the, the, the listener, not everybody listens to this are lawyers, believe it or not, but I, I want to have them uh, hear from you exactly how this works. How does the grand jury system work in our state? Well, it works the same way, I believe, in all 50 states. And uh, since we, we've a lot, a lot of lawyers that listen. Uh, we'll I'll, I'll do a little history. Uh, the grand jury is a, a step that's designed just in felonies here in the United States to separate the, the king uh, or the crown uh, from the villagers, uh, whereas pre, you know, pre-America uh, in England, uh, if you were brought up on, uh, on a felony or high crime, the king's uh, men uh, came to your village, grabbed you, 
uh, with or without a warrant, took you back for your trial. And that's kind of where we got the star chambers and, um, and, uh, due process came out of those star chambers. But one of the things that our, our founding fathers wanted was you, the King can't, uh, take, uh, a citizen, uh, and, and bring him or her up on, on, uh, felonies until the King ha- or his representatives is presented, uh, to the villagers, uh, the uh, allegations and witnesses to support uh, the the bill of indictment, uh, the, the formal charge, and so that that uh, that is a grand jury process, and the grand jury is an extension of the county prosecutor's office. So a lot of people don't realize uh, that the grand jury is not part of the court. Uh, it's not part of uh, uh, probation. It's not part of the, the judge. It's the, it's the elected county prosecutor, and it's the investigative wing. Uh, and, and they bring in uh, ordinary citizens. They swear them in. It's a secret tribunal uh, most of the time, if not all the time. Uh, the citizen, the potential defendant is not aware uh, that uh, his or her case is, is being presented to this secret tribunal, that being the grand jury. And uh, in Ohio, uh, it's nine grand jurors, uh, seven, eight, or nine uh, find probable cause uh, for each count, then you will be indicted. Uh, an indictment will be handed up or returned uh, with those counts. A grand jury four person signs off on it. The county prosecutor signs off on it, and it remains secret until it's filed in the uh, clerk of court's office. Sometimes it's filed under seal, especially if there's a concern of publicity or flight. They'll file it uh, uh, under seal, and then once the person is is arrested, uh, they're brought in. The indictment uh, is unsealed, or the indictment is uh, given to the defendant. And then they are provided an opportunity for uh, their initial appearance. And, and not until that time does the person have the right to counsel. Actually, people don't realize that either. No, that, that's, that's a great analysis. I mean, a great historical uh, analysis. But what I want to talk to you about today is that is as rosy and as proper as that sounds, um, there's some real pitfalls in that process. And, and I wanted to explain to the listeners, because I've testified in, in two grand juries, I've had people steal from me in two different companies. And and just to show the inherent unfairness of the process is that there's no judge there. My, both of mine were recorded. We didn't have a stenographer, but we it was recorded. And the prosecutor walks in. This is how it happens in real life. The prosecutor walks in and says, uh, here's Brad Adams. They, they, they stroke you because they want you to be a good witness. If they want to prosecute you, uh, prosecute this case, they want to build you up as a credible good witness. You're under no cross-examination. So in, in my case, they present the, the documents and I tell the story about what happened. Uh, but when that prosecutor walks in there and they do these grand juries, I mean, continuously, uh, one prosecutor may be there all day with 10 cases. They become accustomed to that prosecutor. They like that prosecutor. And in my experience, it's, it's very rare there is a no bill or no prosecution because you don't have you you don't have the ability to cross examine to cross examine anybody, which is like, I mean, and, and that to me is the is the fundamental unfairness. Because I've always said that 
depending on the ethics of a prosecutor, you're going to indict somebody. And this happens a lot in these police cases. If you don't want this police officer to be indicted, you know how to not get that police officer indicted. Sure. If I exa- sure. Am I exaggerating at all, Brad? I mean, jump in oh, there. Oh, no. You know, we always talk about how easy it is to get indicted. Uh, for that reason, Brad, there, the, you don't have many times uh, – you don't, you're not given any notice that your, your life is being examined uh, by a criminal investigator and they're going to present a portion of your life to the grand jury. And many times people don't realize they've been indicted until they get arrested pursuant to that um, indictment. Uh, so anyone can, these secret tribunals. Uh, so A, uh, you have no idea if you're, there's a grand jury convened now to investigate you. Uh, any citizen, anyone listening to the show, could be subject to a grand jury investigation and they don't know. B, uh, if you do find out there's a grand jury, you don't have the right to have a lawyer go in there and cross-examine the accusers or the detectives um, and, and see it's not proof beyond a reasonable doubt. It's just preponderance of the evidence, probable cause. Um, that's not too hard to get. Uh, that's what, normally what we're dealing with. And then also over-indicting, classic over-indicting, using the grand jury process to add counts that probably will never survive proof beyond a reasonable doubt, but they're used as cudgels uh, to, to get you to plead guilty to uh, charges later. Um, what you're talking about is can you steer a case, say a high profile case or a politically connected defendant, can you steer that person's investigation through your grand jury process to net out no indictment or what's called a no bill. Uh, I have been on, uh, I've seen that happen once in my career. Uh, it involved a high state football player um, in, a, in a jurisdiction here in the United States. And that's the only time I've seen it happen. I've seen other funky things. And, and uh, but you brought up the, the Watson case I'm sure there are many others. But you're in, in that Ohio points. State case that you referenced, though. What what you're saying is that we you don't have to name names unless you want to. But that there there uh, and I particularly know it. But there's a, a potential co-defendant that wasn't indicted, and the speculation is he wasn't indicted because he was a high-profile Ohio State football player. Is that accurate? Well, uh, mine goes back several decades, and it's a drug case, um, and. <laughs> Everyone from uh, the U.S. Postal Service and the local police that were involved all knew uh, that uh, this this Ohio State football player was involved, uh, and the case uh, was presented to the county in which this offense occurred, uh, and it resulted in a no indictment, uh, which is the only time I've seen that happen, and there's no rational explanation. Uh, no rational explanation why that case was not indicted. Mm-hmm. But in similar circumstances, that's what that's what the national media is arguing with regard to the Deshaun Watson. Um, for the non-sports fan, it, it's this is the person he's actually currently being sued in twenty-two by in one yeah. massive civil case, but twenty-two separate plaintiffs accusing him of uh, of sexual assault. Twenty-two different uh, massage uh, therapists and. He was uh, uh, just just entered into a large contract with the Cleveland Browns, which is uh, very right. controversial in Cleveland be- because, you know, do you want to do you want to bring a guy in as a franchise quarterback that may be suspended now, 
or certainly um, has this hanging over his head. But but the uh, national media. Go ahead. Brown's quarterback. Well, <laughs> that's Brown's quarterback. They go up there and they're close to the lake and they 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 wind up getting dumped in the lake. You never hear of them again. It's the graveyard of quarterbacks. I know, but Baker didn't uh, get traded. The draft was last night. When we're recording this today after the draft, uh, he didn't he didn't get traded last night. So yeah. where's he going to go? You know, the one thing, the one thing that I know, Brett, is that uh, my, this is my defense attorney brain kicking in, and I tell my kids all the time. I said, if you've only heard one story, one side of the story, remember, you've only heard one side of the story. I'm going to go out on the, uh, and I know you had a, a, a Dr. Husel podcast. Uh, recently, and I listened to that, and you and I di- would have to disagree on that case. Uh, I never saw Husel uh, being a, a wide-open sniper uh, taking out 25 patients in front of everybody. I just never viewed him as being a sniper. Um, and here, this prosecutor in Harris County, Texas, I'm going to put my defense attorney hat on and actually defend that guy uh, and say, you know, um, I think there are other reasons uh, that that came out as a no bill um, that he probably can't say publicly. Mm-hmm. Or if, well, what if, do you speculate? If, that's that's great. I love this. Listen, I'm, this, I is the, this is the first guest that's actually challenging me in anything. I was I thought I was the smartest guy yeah. in the room. But I love it. So tell me your speculation well, on uh, why do you? You're you're one of the smartest guys in the room right now. Uh, Brett, you're very, very uh, Judge Stewart got uh, rest his soul, right? Um, I heard that story. Um, well, for those, let me, uh, let me reiterate that real quick since you brought that up, not leave everybody I in the doubt. That, Brad, let me, let me, let me back up on that Stewart story. I, I was in a, in a, in a very contested case, a lot of lawyers involved. The judge takes us into chambers and the, and the judge points out to me directly, probably because I was the most aggressive lawyer, if you can imagine that among the six or seven involved. And he said, uh, he said, Mr. Adams, you, you think you're the smartest lawyer in the courthouse? And I said, Judge, I don't know about that. I know I'm the smartest lawyer in the room. And listen, I, I don't, I've never ever in my career shown a judge disrespect. But when, but when it comes back to me, then it's going to, if that's what was said to me, I'm going to come back strong. And, you and were, I did. And, you were back, you're off the record. You're back in chambers. Well, I'd have said I that. Recall. I would have said that in, yeah, outside yeah. in the courtroom, though, too. So I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't say that. But but anyway, getting back to your point, I'm really interested yeah. on your. I, why I, do you think he held back, or why do you think that was a just decision? Uh, I uh, I think that he had. I'm guessing, but applying my my almost 30 years of doing criminal law, I think he has serious credibility questions with the majority of these accusers. He either possesses information that is exculpatory uh, for uh, the uh, for Mr. Watson, uh, or he's got uh, some of these witnesses are going to go in and commit perjury, and he doesn't want to suborn perjury. Um, and, and, and also, I don't think a county prosecutor would, on such a high-profile case with the, with the, the light of the media, the great disinfectant uh, being the media uh, would, would uh, purposely go in and crash a grand jury to trigger a no bill. I just, I don't think he's that dumb to do that. And, and what's he going to return Brown's tickets? I mean, what's the quid pro quo? I, I, you're mm-hmm. arguing the quid, but where's the quo? Mm-hmm. Um, 
he certainly would not take money. He will wind up losing everything. He's not going to get free. He's going to get 50 yard line tickets uh, to the Texans or anyone else. What would the quo be? I think these are uh, opportunists. I think these women are hanger honors. I think these women have, uh, and I don't know any of them, but I'm guessing and theorizing that they are very troubled potential witnesses for the government. And he feels most comfortable bringing in one to tell the story for the all. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's fair. But there were all, there, he, this was actually his testimony. He actually went to 50 different massage therapists. There were 50 different massage therapists. 22 of them came forward. Uh, and I, I grant, Brad, that many of these are money diggers. I mean, there's no question. But can it really be? All twenty-two, and but it does raise some questions, and and you could be one hundred percent right. I'm not disagreeing with you at all on your theory, but I'm thinking that of the twenty-two, you call ten, and you only have one testify. You're gonna, as you said, the media. There are people gonna jump all over that and say, "Did you not give them that opportunity?" And that, and that's what I'm trying to. to that, it creates yeah, some question. Neither one of us were there. We don't we don't know the guy. We don't know the. Optic. It has bad optics. And was it the elected official who presented to grand jury or an assistant? Uh, that was the, uh, the the actual prosecutor, the actual elected prosecutor. Yeah, the elected prosecutor. Uh, I I think that the I think the the I think the county prosecutor has a a reason. I haven't read it. I don't know what it is. Uh, but when you look inside the culture of uh, when you look inside the off field culture of a lot of these NFL players and some of the women that are hanging on to them and the seedy atmosphere of massage therapy, uh, you really, we're really into some murky waters as to the veracity of witnesses. And, uh, and, and, and he may, he may not be able to come out publicly and say, look, uh, these are these are hoes who uh, will lie to make money. They're in it for the money, and yeah. I don't like. And I wouldn't even present it at the grand jury, but I'm getting all sides of backside pressure. So I'm going to take the most credible one. I'm going to put her in there and see how she does. Oh, that's a great point. And she just so I'm not bringing in the rest. Yeah. So no, that's a great point. Job, yeah, yeah. So I'm not dis- I'm not disagreeing with you, but you know, I I live this. I've seen this, um, and I represent a lot of NBA coaches, and I've been. I've been to uh, after the game at Four Seasons with where the Four Seasons people are trying to run off twenty women that are that are looking for a baby daddy. I mean, I've seen it in in real life, and it happens. I mean, I've I've witnessed it. So you are you yeah. are right, and that could have happened in a lot of these situations, and and they're all looking for a for a paycheck. But I, I, have, another, I have another theory. Good, and the theory is based in extortion. What if he was a victim? What if he was a victim of extortion? And the only way to uh, reverse that out and protect this is to actually follow through on the threats of criminal action. And, and you have to ratify it through the criminal process. What if, what if this was, I think these women probably, or their lawyers, especially the first lawyers they get into, they're, they're uh, down the street, down the block lawyer, mm-hmm. um, probably reached out kind of Michael Avenatti style and said, I got a press conference uh, coming up tomorrow. We're going to walk out all these women unless you give us $100,000 each. So uh, it, it may be a situation where 
uh, I'm theorizing uh, that the other side uh, needed this to be blessed somewhat by the official court proceedings to take the taint of extortion away. I, I, I think that's likely. I think, uh, I think uh, he would be subject to extortion. He'd gone to massage parlor. They knew who he was. He probably, you know, he's a, he's a big guy. He's an athlete. He's got uh, visibility. He's got money. Um, well, what a, what a great, what a great way to get some money out of him. That's another great theory. This is why you are on this podcast today. And as much as I've looked at this, I'm embarrassed that I missed that, but you are Absolutely right. Just a sidebar for one second. Have you ever seen in your career, our careers that have paralleled each other, have you ever seen a lawyer fall from grace like Michael Avenatti? He had the world by the balls. I mean, by oh, the Dick, balls. Dick, have you ever Dick seen anybody fall that? Have you ever seen anybody fall that hard? Uh, no. <laughs> but he's, he's America's Icarus. Yeah. And he flew. He got so close to the sun, he got burned. But that's greed. Uh and, and you and I both know there are warning signs with lawyers, whether it's drugs or alcohol or greed, and, and they get full of themselves and um, they believe what they say about themselves. They believe what they write about themselves. And they're, they, they, Michael Avenatti fell victim to his own narcissism. And um, what I, and, and Garagos, who's probably, Mark Garagos is probably, uh, an extremely ethical lawyer, uh, a reluctantly got in bed with dirty Mark Avenatti or Michael, dirty Avenatti, yeah. Michael. And I think again, theory, my own opinion, no fact based on this, uh, that Garagos blew the whistle on Avenatti and set that up with Nike and the FBI. Yeah. That's what it sounded. That's what it sounded like. But he also could have been oh, well, doing it to yeah. save his own skin too, though. You know. Sure. Yeah, but I mean, the moment the moment Avenatti turned that into, he seems very impulsive. Uh, and as soon as he 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 lashed out at Nike and and made that um, twenty million dollar demand, I think at that point in time, Garagos said, "Oh man, we can't put that genie back in the bottle." And Garagos had my guess, which is why Garagos hasn't been indicted, was not indicted. But that's just the beginning of Avenatti. I mean, right, right so many other these guys there's so many there's only so long you can just go around and just bully people before you get yours yep yeah Karma. stay in your lane stay yeah. in your lane be yeah. humble be humble stay in your lane there you go great that great advice one of the other things i want to talk to you about brad on is the what i believe and again you may have a different opinion on this but what i believe is an inherent conflict of these police shooting cases or law enforcement uh, misconduct going to grand juries when the prosecutor and the police work hand in hand. What, 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 what's your thoughts on that? Well, I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you, Brett, my early on in my career, uh, I saw what is, is legal collusion between our division of, or, or between police officers and prosecutors, both uh, municipal and County. And I'm like, man, the, 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 the courts are rigged. Uh, how do you get through this? I mean, they can, the, the rules of evidence favor the government. Everything seems to favor the government. The case law favors the government. The, the witnesses are trained and they come in with uniforms. And uh, now victims of, of sexual assault can come in with cute Labrador retrievers and, 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 and golden doodles as their therapy dogs. I mean, everything is uh, so hard against 
the, the defendant because of, of how the government is able to uh, build cases against people and prosecute them. And now uh, our police shooting case here in Columbus, Brett, uh, where it was a, a hung jury mistrial, and now the, the government gets to retry that uh, former Columbus police officer. Um, they'll get him the next time because the retrial rates are so high. Yeah. Conviction rates are so yeah. high. Yeah. I, I, I've um, never, I've never understood. I, I, I've always thought, I mean, if a hung jury should equate to an acquittal, but I, I that's, that's just right. My... And I, I mean, right. Um, so in terms of police shootings being reviewed by grand juries, um, I think in Columbus, every discharge of firearm gets presented to grand jury if it results in serious harm or death. I, I think and I don't. I, I don't want to correct you on that. I I I, re, I think any any discharge of the firearm, whether it causes any injury or not, is it actually all discharge. Yeah, is presented. Yeah, actually, is presented. Yeah. You know, I I don't like it. Um, probably for a different reason than you don't like it. I don't I don't like it because, for the same reasons, I don't like uh, nurses and doctors to have to worry about getting criminal criminally indicted for what they do for a living. Um, great point. Or the great point. Getting indicted. Yeah, great yeah, point. Yeah, so, um, you know, there, there's immunity, um, and hopefully the immunity statute's uh, addressed to the grand jury. I'm sure it is. Um, but, you know, I don't know. Uh, I have trouble with it, but I don't have a, I don't, I still don't have an opinion um, beyond that, nor do I know what the best upgrade and due process and fairness to all parties and the community would be. I just don't know what the next, I just don't know. Well, I agree with you. I, I agree with you in terms of not knowing, but what I do know is that I do think there's a conflict and I, and don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not, I agree with you on, we got to be really careful about indicting. Uh, listen, I'm not talking about the guys that jump on somebody and shoot them in the head. I'm talking about a lot of these are, are really close calls. I mean, I remember the officer's name a, a year ago when he, when he, when he shot the, uh, the woman uh, that was going to stab somebody. I saved a life. He saved a life. And then yeah. you saw LeBron went out and, and, you know, did that initial tweet and tried to crucify him and, you know, call him a cop killer. That guy, uh, he, he saved a life. And, uh, yeah, and the but, mayor, the mayor goes to the, uh, the decedent, the would be felony uh, uh, defendant. The mayor goes to her funeral. I know. I, I, I know. I couldn't believe it. I'm watching, I'm watching that in horror because that video was so distinguishable from any yeah. other, you know, stupid cop shooting. I mean, sometimes I watch some of these videos and I'm, I'm saying, do, do these cops, do they watch TV? I mean, do they not watch TV? I mean, it, it's not even training. It's just common sense. So, but, but I agree with you that, that we've got to be very, very careful in these cases. But, but I think the conflict is so bad that between uh, are so egregious between the prosecutor and the grand jury. And I just think there's got to be another way. I think we've got to take that out of that process for, for fairness on both sides, on both sides. Maybe it has to be presented um, in a, one of the other 88 counties for grand jury go. process. Yeah. Uh, that would be one. Or it gets presented to a federal grand jury. That's, that's a great idea, and that's that's what we're trying to accomplish on with this podcast is, is to right some wrongs and, and talk about these issues. That, that, that would be like me uh, sitting in judgment of, of my bail bondsman that I use all the time, my, you know, who, who works 
uh, my direction a lot on, on getting my bail bondsman over to the courthouse to get uh, clients bailed out expeditiously. Uh, there's, um, it's not just the visible hand of the county prosecutor with their hand on the grand jury levers. It's the invisible hand as well. Um, so maybe it's on cop, on, on, um, cop shootings, the grand jury, uh, calculus maybe needs to be taken out of the county and looked at by, uh, nine citizens elsewhere. That's a great point. That's a great point. Another quick sidebar, and I'm, I'm going to let you go. I, I, I appreciate the time you devoted, but you just said something that, that I think is a, a misnomer for all of us who've been there and tried to get somebody out of jail um, expeditiously. That, At least in, in my experience in this jurisdiction, expeditiously can mean a day. I mean, just, our system is so screwed up. I mean, you could post a bond and be sitting in that effing county jail for, for 10 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it always seems like here, you know, we're recording this on a Friday and it seems like a lot of counties do their grand juries on Fridays and they return their indictments and they clock them into the clerk's office. And a lot of the rural counties of which, what, 80, let's just say 80 80 of our, yeah. Yeah. Let's say 80 out of 88 are rural counties, one, two judge counties, clerk's office closes at four. You get arrested on your warrant. Um, um, Friday night, and now you're sitting in the county lockup until Monday. Uh, so, I mean, they know what they're doing, and they can they they can have people sit out for the weekend. But it always it always seems like Brett, as, as you know, because I know you've done defense in the past. It always seems like our clients get indicted. Uh, uh, they think we're supposed to know when they're getting it indicted. Right. We almost never know when they're right. getting it indicted. Right. It always seems to happen. Uh, six, seven o'clock on Friday nights, just some winding down, having a cocktail. Yep. And I got to spend the next couple hours explaining to the family that we didn't miss anything. This is how it works. And you're not going to be able to get them out until um, Monday. Yeah. Or, and, and I'm sure you've done this too, on, a, on especially misdemeanor cases. They're not controversial. You, you find a buddy that's a judge and pull some strings on a Saturday and chase him down on the golf course. But, done, but, done that too. Yeah. But it is, uh, yeah, it's a screwed up system. But, uh, brother, I, I, I can't thank you enough for doing this. It was very educational. Uh, I even got a little education in the beginning on the history. But I got to have you back on on some other issues so that you can make me sound smarter. I, I need you on this podcast. So, I love what you're doing. I love the title. And uh, anytime, man, you're doing a bang-up job. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it, Brad. Thanks. Thanks much. See you, Brad. All right. Bye. Hey, thanks, buddy. Now, normally, I do a Brett's rant at this point, but I got to tell you, uh, Brad was such a good uh, guest, good, I mean, an education in the grand jury process. And uh, the first time that that I actually had some minor disagreements. Uh, So uh, certainly, other than the process and and, uh, how unfair it is, um, you know, I could go off on that, but I don't want to uh, I don't want to go negative um, when when we just had such a great conversation that I think can be a learning experience for those of, of you who are, have been in this situation or uh, at least to, to know how a grand jury uh, works. So it'll be interesting to follow uh, what happens with the Deshaun Watson case. I mean, damn it, I'm hoping Brad's not right. It's not extortion because I've really gone out on the limb and, and I, I just didn't think that the prosecutor – Really, I mean, with that many witnesses, didn't want to go after him. So I don't want to lose that. I just, I'm so competitive. I know he is too. So we're going to have to wait and see where that goes. But 
Anyway, um, as always, really appreciate you listening to Lawyers Are Assholes. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk to you in the next episode.